Hi, I'm lead pastor, Noel Peepgrass. Welcome to the Exeter Valley Church Podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. You're welcome to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. in our historic building at 218 Pine Street. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or visit our Instagram page. Thanks for listening. Man, super excited uh, next week to celebrate our one year uh, as a church. Um, it was about a year ago that we gathered uh, on Sunday mornings for the first time, or we started gathering on Sunday mornings for the first time. Um, I was just thinking, um, if you were here the first time we gathered, could you raise your hand? Just want to give a little perspective here. Okay. So, yep, so there's like... Three families here that were here a year ago. So uh, just want you all to know if you've come in the, in the last year, you like just joined the crowd. No, nobody came to this church a year ago, right? There, there was, we didn't have a church. We didn't have a name a year ago, you know? So if, if you feel new, uh, feel invited to jump right in. This could be your church too. Um, this, uh, this morning, um, I'm going to... Um, I'm going, to, I'm going to be teaching on the idea of our, uh, our third value. So you guys know that uh, we started this church with a study of the book of Matthew. It was like a year ago we were studying the genealogy of Jesus <laughs> a year ago. That's, if you want a challenge in, in teaching or preaching the word of God, go ahead. Take on the challenge of preaching a genealogy, a list of names, right? But we came to find that there's great significance in that list of names and, uh, you know, one of the things that we value as a church is that the entire Word of God, the entire Bible, uh, we believe is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching and training, instructing, correcting, in righteousness. It says that. Paul said that in 2 Timothy 3.16. Um, and uh, two weeks ago, I kicked off this series on our values. I, we, we decided to break from our study of the book of Matthew and uh, start up... Uh, um, a mini-series on what kind of church is this anyways? That's the most common question that I get. So what kind of church are you guys anyways? What kind of church are you? I don't know exactly what people mean when they say that, but I thought, you know, it'd be a good idea to talk for a few weeks about what kind of church are we? What are, what's, like, what are our values here? And so the first value I taught on August 7th was uh, the value for being obedient to the Word of God, right? And how the Bible is our ultimate authority, the Bible is really, really, really important to us here at Exeter Valley Church. But not just knowing the Bible, not just knowing God's word in our heads, but living lives that are actually obedient to the teachings of Scripture. We want to be not just hearers of the word, we want to be doers of the word. So that was week one in this miniseries. And then uh, last week, um, I talked about our value for being a, a, a church that's filled with the Spirit of God. And uh, I shared specifically that, that that means for us, we call ourselves a charismatic church. That might be scary language for some of you, depending on the background that you've come out of. So really what that means for us is that we believe God still speaks. We believe God still moves in mighty, miraculous ways. That's what it means to be a charismatic church. And, and we are contending for all those things to be true in this body. We want to see God speak. We want to see God perform miracles. We want to see healings come in our midst. So we're contending 
for the power and the presence of God to be here in this place, to move among us. We eagerly desire these fresh manifestations of his spirit here in our lives. We believe they're gifts from him. They're not things that we perform our way to, but things that we freely receive. That's what the word charisma actually has its roots. Charis, Greek word for gifts of grace. Not things that we earn, things that we freely receive. And so we believe that, uh, you know, uh, God is supernatural, right? Our faith, belief in God is supernatural, but we let him do the super, and we can just be natural that way, right? So we're looking to God to bring these gifts, but we, we believe, like, that's pretty powerful. You guys, this is a powerful concept. God still speaks. The belief that God would still move in power among us. The, the belief that God's presence is here with us. And, uh, you know, like, why do we believe that? Why do we believe that, that God still wants to move in this way? Why do we hold this value of being a spirit-filled church? It's not just because we've had some crazy experience or went on some emotional trip. We're not led into this belief, this doctrine, by our experience or by our feelings. We actually believe that God would want to move and work in this way because the word of God indicates that he would want to move and work in this way. And so we're holding on to everything that the word of God says. And we're believing in faith even when we don't feel it, even if we haven't experienced it. That this is the way God wants to move. We, we do not believe, you guys, that the word of God and his spirit are at odds. I had a friend, uh, a former player that I coached. I got to see him on Friday. He's been uh, working for Campus Crusade for Christ in Japan for the last six and a half years. And it's super cool to see a kid who I coach grow up uh, and just decide, like, he, he was like, he just felt called after college to give the rest of his 20s to God in ministry. And so he, he moved to Japan. He's learned the Japanese language. And he's been uh, ministering to Japanese students at universities there in Tokyo. And he was telling me, he's like, um, he goes to a church in Japan that calls itself and again, I'm using more language here that could be offensive. I don't know. But they call themselves reformed and charismatic. And what he means by that is they have a very, what he means by reformed is that they have a very high view of scripture. They believe that God's word is our ultimate authority. I think that's, you know, in, its, in a nutshell, what it means to be reformed is to believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. And he was just saying in the States, sometimes word churches and spirit churches like, there's like one or the other. A lot of times in, in, in the United States, that's how it is. But we do not believe that that has to be the way that it is. We believe that you can be a spirit church and you can be a word church. We believe that the spirit and the word are homeboys. They get along. They get along really well. So we believe that we can have a high view of scripture and that we can eagerly desire the power and the presence of God by his spirit. Like, we can get really smart about the things the Bible teaches us. And we can get really excited, raise our hands, jump up and down, experience miracles, healings, whatever the Spirit would want to do by his presence and his power, we invite it. It's both and. It's word and it's spirit. It's not one or the other. We do not believe. We reject the idea that you have to choose between a faith that's purely intellectual and a faith that's led by the Spirit. We want to have a knowledge of God through his scriptures and experience his power and presence by the Spirit. Anyway, last week was a hard message. It was just harder for me. For me, it was harder. 
It's a more uh, controversial subject, potentially. Some of you come into the room into a topic like that with your own experiences of how things have been wonky or weird. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, I think so many of us have a story of how things have gotten off, like, off the rails when the church has been like Father, Son, and Holy Bible, and you've gotten pounded over the head by the Word of God. But some of us have had experiences in churches where the Spirit of God has gotten out of control, and there's been chaos and disorder, and it's felt like really showy and maybe kind of man-made, you know? And so, anyways, trying to thread that needle last week was pretty challenging. Um, and so, anyway, um, I'm actually super excited to teach this morning on our third value, which is being committed as a church to the mission of God. Um, I feel like uh, a coach at halftime, potentially. I might yell. No, I don't know if I'll yell today, but I'm super excited to preach on the mission of God and our desire to be a church that's committed to mission. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to have Maggie come up and read today's passage. Um, you can start coming up, Maggie. But be- before, I, before we even get into this uh, message, I want to say uh, two things, and these are like my main points. So two things that you just got to hear this morning. Number one, I believe the Bible teaches clearly that we've all been commissioned by God to make disciples of all nations. We have all been commissioned by God to make disciples of all nations. And number two, I believe, and it's the conviction of our church, that the church, the local church, imperfect as it is, is God's plan for the working out of this great commission that he's called us to. So at Exeter Valley Church, we believe that being committed to the mission of God means reaching the lost through the spreading of the gospel and bringing them into his family, the local church. We're committed to mission, and we're committed to the local church here at Exeter Valley Church. So Maggie, come on up. She's reading from Matthew 28, 16 through 20. I'm going to stand close so the microphone picks up the recording. Oh, God. Sixteen, sorry. You're right. Okay. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Maggie. Appreciate it. Funny side note, the printer ran out of black ink today, and I, so I, the spirit led me to use the color ink instead, but I, I was going for navy blue and it came out purple, and I don't know how to feel about purple sermon. Anyways, uh, the, the passage Maggie just read, it's probably familiar to you. Uh, it's, it's, it contains what's known as the Great Commission. Um, it also, the Great Commission has become uh, a bit of a, like, well, like Maggie called it a mantra this morning. Like, it, it's kind of been like our calling card. It's the, it's the passage or the, the verses that I proclaim to you Pretty much every Sunday on our way out the door, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. 
Anyway, uh, this passage is known as the Great uh, Commission. Um, Today, I wanted to start by telling you what that means, why it's called the Great Commission, and what it means that we have a Great Commission. So first of all, you noticed um, I had Maggie start at verse 16. um, And I just want to give a little context for where this passage comes out of. So uh, we're at the very end of the book of Matthew, the last chapter in the book of Matthew. So... Uh, it's kind of funny. I guess we could maybe in like three years we'll actually get to Matthew 28. I'm not sure exactly. Um, but uh, I guess we're going to have preached this passage quite a bit before we get there. But, but this is the last chapter in the book of Matthew. And Jesus has just risen from the dead. And he's shown himself to different disciples. And he gave instructions to those who saw him. Tell the other followers to meet me in Galilee up on this mountainside. And uh, verse 16 says this, actually. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. First thing I want you to notice is that these disciples obeyed. They obeyed what Jesus asked them to do. And what was their reward? To be in the presence of the resurrected Jesus. That's powerful, you guys. Like little things as you read through Scripture. Obedience can lead you into the presence of God. It doesn't feel that supernatural, does it? Obedience has power. I would say obedience is supernatural. They were obedient, and as a result, they they were led into his presence. And then in verse 17, it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Wouldn't you? In the presence of the resurrected Lord come to worship? I mean, imagine you'd seen this man, your mentor, friend, the one that you looked up to, the one that you saw perform many acts, the one who you'd probably potentially put your faith in. Then he dies. Imagine the despair and the discouragement, maybe like an inkling of hope, because he said he was coming back, but I don't know. Probably mostly discouragement and despair. You show up in Galilee on the mountainside, eager to see this man. And he comes. The resurrected Lord shows up, and they respond by worshiping him. The church we came out of, Radiant Church, that one of their taglines is, beholding Jesus and putting his brilliance on display. I've always loved that tagline. Beholding Jesus. When we behold the real resurrected Lord, our hearts spring into worship. And that's what we see happening here. But something else really interesting is happening here. And uh, I I just wanted to point it out because some of us at some times, sometimes for me, maybe sometimes for you, my knowledge and my experience with Jesus hasn't always just produced like faith and worship. Have you ever had doubt that Jesus is who he said he was? Have you ever had doubt? We uh, we had a a professor in college at Westmont College, named uh, Robert Winberg. He was like a, just like a legend at, at, our, at our school, professor of uh, philosophy. And, and he would say, you know, when talking about doubt, he would say that he, he finally realized that, that he wasn't a doubter. He was a believer who was sometimes prone to doubt. Does that make sense? And I think that even us as believers, sometimes our faith is really strong. We behold Jesus and we turn right away to worship him. But I just, wanted, I just wanted to say, if you've ever walked with doubt, 
you can still be in the presence of Jesus. And second thing, what did these doubters do? The doubters showed up to see Jesus. They followed him. I would just give this word to you this morning. If you find yourself in a place of doubt, you can keep following Jesus into that doubt. Keep following him. And when you keep following Jesus in your doubt, you have the opportunity, like these followers, to come into the presence of the resurrected Lord. If you find yourself in a place of doubt, you guys, hold on. Keep following. I think Jesus would welcome you in your doubt, just like he did Thomas, right? The disciple who wasn't quite sure. So verse 18, we come to this great passage, the Great Commission. I wanted to start by defining the word commission because I realized right away as I'm preaching a sermon on mission, being committed to the mission, the the word mission is in that word commission, isn't it? And so what does the word commission mean? By definition, according to Merriam-Webster, it says, uh, there's a couple different definitions, but I think this one was the one that really struck me. It says that to be commissioned is to be given the authority to act for or on behalf of or in place of another. It says at the very beginning of this, you guys, uh, Jesus started with this, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus claims his authority. Jesus had the authority. Jesus gave us authority. Jesus gave his authority to the disciples. Sometimes, you guys, we can feel like we don't have enough to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus. I mean, tell me about it. Tell me about it. That Jesus would want to use a football coach, PE teacher, to come proclaim the gospel. Like, you have enough if you have Jesus. We've all been called. We have his authority. We're commissioned. We are commissioned on his behalf to be ministers of the gospel. We have his authority, you guys. You don't go out under your own authority. You go out to minister under the authority of Jesus. Like, I don't know if we really believe sometimes that we can do the things that Jesus did. He's given us his spirit in times of weakness, right? He's given us gifts to make it happen when we cannot make it happen. But Jesus gives us his authority. He's called us to do the things that he did. He's, uh, he's, he's, um, he's passing on the mantle, isn't he? I'm going to go, but it will be better for you. That's actually what he said. The mantle is being passed. It's, it's not just an order that Jesus is giving here. These aren't just like um, instructions. It's not just um, a command. He's giving authority. You have my authority, is what Jesus is saying. The therefore of verse 19, it's in response to this authority. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You know, when you, when you read a therefore, I was taught in English class or maybe church somewhere, when you read a therefore, you're supposed to look back to the prior sentence, right? So therefore means like because of. Because of the authority in Jesus as the Son of God, go and make disciples of all nations. He's passing on his authority. You guys, 
In Jesus, we have the authority that he had. So if you're not sure this morning, um, you know, if you have what it takes, I would just uh, suggest to you that you're right. You don't, but you do have the authority of Jesus to go minister to those around you. We're all ministers. We're all missionaries, you guys. Meg and I, uh, we, we lived in Boston for a time. And uh, we had never experienced, like, we went to this new church in Boston. They met in a school. And the pastors were from Texas. And they called themselves missionaries. We're missionaries from Texas. And I was, like, perplexed, you know, because I thought missionaries went to other countries. That's what I thought at the time. And they said, no, we're missionaries from Texas. Boston's the least church city in the United States. So we came to start a church and reach the lost. You don't have to leave the country to be a missionary. You can go next door, down the street, to your workplace. This is what it means to be a missionary. We're all missionaries, you guys. We are all missionaries. This is what it means to be a church committed to the mission of God. We all have a role to play. I'm not, the, I'm not even a professional, hardly. I'm like a half professional, one-third professional pastor. I'm just a PE teacher, you guys. You can be a minister too. Because you don't minister on your own authority. You minister by the commission of his authority. He has commissioned you to make disciples. And me. You and me. We. He's commissioned us to make disciples of all nations. You know, I love this. It's, it's actually not just a New Testament commission. The Great Commission, I read an article this week from a really smart guy who said, we should take a look back to the call of Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, we should take a look back to the call of Abraham. He called it the first commission. Let me read Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God told Abraham, go, leave the comfort of your home, your father's household, leave your own country. And he gave him this promise, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. <clears throat> Have you ever thought about the authority that Jesus has given you and your ability to be a blessing to all people on earth? God is a God of multiplication. He does immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Through one life on mission, the world could be blessed. The call of Abraham was not to stay, but to go. And it's the same call for us. This is the first commission. It's not just a New Testament commission. This commission was Old Testament. Hebrew Bible. From the beginning of creation... God has chosen to partner with people. Let me say that again, because this is a statement you should not miss. From the beginning of creation, God has chosen to partner with people. Like, honestly, this is perhaps God's most regrettable decision. Amen? <laughs> I mean, he's all-powerful. He's got everything it takes to do what he wants to do. And yet, in his wisdom... He's chosen to partner with fallible human beings like Abraham, P. 
Peter, Paul, maybe you've heard their backstories. Moses, David, King Saul, even me, and you. From the beginning of creation, God chose to partner with people. So you get the idea, we're all missionaries. We've all been commissioned to go, not on our own authority, but in the authority of Jesus. We have his authority as we go. So what have we been commissioned to do? This passage makes it really simple. There's three things that we've been commissioned to do. Number one, he says, therefore, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Go. The same word that Abraham received, isn't it? Go. Don't stay. You have to leave your comfort at times. You may have to leave your household, like in a, in a good way. Take your family with you. you. You know what I'm saying, though. You may have to leave the comforts of home. That's a better way to say it. But going is part of what it means to be a disciple. I wonder, where, where's God calling you to go? Maybe it's just out the front door, next door, into the office next door. <clears throat> I don't know. Where's God asking you to go? We're not commissioned to tuck in close to home. We've been commissioned to go out into all the world. Where? All the world. Therefore, go and make disciples of who? All nations. All nations. It can be scary, but God has commissioned us, you and me, to go and make disciples but uh, even though, and, and I, I would totally uh, validate your fear, I also experienced the same fear. But I would tell you this, and I, I could tell you this with certainty, don't worry. Did you know that that's one of the most, uh, the most used commands in scripture? Do not worry or do not be anxious. One of the most used commands in scripture, you guys. So don't worry. Would God ask you to go on mission that you were not equipped to do? Would he ask you to do something he would not empower you to do? The answer is no. God always gives us what we need to do what he's asked us to do. We learned this in Matthew 10, right? Uh, Jesus' great sermon on mission. He told them, hey, a lot of bad things are going to happen. A lot of bad things are going to happen to you as you're on mission with me. But don't worry, even if you don't know what to say, I'll give you by my spirit the words for the situation. Even if you feel like you don't know what to say, this, the, God promises, Jesus promised to give you by his spirit the right words to say at the right time. I find that incredibly comforting. I think I said like every Sunday morning, you guys, I'm like, man, I don't know if this is going to be any good. I hope that it like moves somebody's heart closer to Jesus, but I, I'm not all that confident. Holy Spirit, would you please give me words to say? Things that I maybe, I mean, I plan my brains out, but I still show up here relying on the Spirit of God to say what you need to hear and to move your heart to hear it, right? So Jesus promises to be with us. I love that. The last part of this uh, Great Commission, what does he say? Remember, I'll be with you wherever you go. The Spirit of God lives in us. He promises to be with us wherever we go. Um, Acts 1.8, maybe you've heard this before, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's the power of the Spirit, like he's telling them, you're going to go be witnesses, but don't worry, you're going to receive power. 
You have this power source to draw on as you go in mission. And then he says, uh, again, Acts 1.8 now, and you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, where they were. Maybe that's our Exeter. And in all Judea and Samaria. Think bigger, maybe like California, like a bigger region. So not just here, here, and to the ends of the earth. Everywhere. How big is the mission of God? It's here, it's there, and it's everywhere. The mission of God is huge. Number two, so first, number one, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Number two, what do we do once we've made disciples? We baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is why we're doing this next week, you guys. It's like part of the Great Commission. It's one of the things that God has authorized us to do. We, we practice two sacraments. As a Protestant church, we practice the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, and we practice the sacrament of baptism. We believe these are powerful symbols of realities that are true, realities that are powerful. Anyways, we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, we believe that baptism marks conversion, right? Baptism isn't in and of itself conversion, but it is like an outward expression of this inward decision that, that we've made to follow Jesus. And so, you guys, th this is like, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've not yet been baptized, I would encourage you, maybe next week is your week. If you've decided to give your life to Jesus, follow him all the way into the waters of baptism. He's, he's commanded us as a church to baptize, and I believe he's commanded us as individuals to be baptized, to mark our conversion. You know, Jesus was baptized. You knew that, right? Jesus, God's son, was baptized. And so Jesus told us to baptize, and so not only will we baptize, we'll also be baptized. But remember, you know, it's just a sign. It's just a sign and a symbol of the regeneration that happens when someone gives their life to Jesus. The call to baptize, you guys, in this passage... The call to baptize is a call to make conversions, right? Why would you baptize? Because someone's converted. They've given their life to Jesus. It's not a call just like to do some empty religious act. The call to baptize is a call to win people over for Jesus. It's a call to join a believer up in the life of God's community. When we are baptized, it's like that, a, a very symbolic um, act that indicates we're joining the family of God. Maybe some of you have grown up in churches where you became a member of the church upon baptism. That's how it was in the church that I grew up in. You, became, you got baptized and you became a member on the same day. That was the way that we did it. But in any event, whether you practice formal membership or informal membership in the life of a church, baptism in Jesus' way was um, the point of entrance into a church community. So we make disciples and, and we baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, bringing them into our family. And then, number three, the third thing that the Great Commission tells us to do, we teach them to obey everything he has commanded. Uh, I, I love this distinction. The mission of God is not just to convert people and then leave them, right? Right? As a church, we want to be missional. 
but not just to convert and then leave people where they are. We, want, we don't want uh, just more disciples made. We want more better disciples made, right? And point three of the Great Commission, teach them to obey everything he has commanded. Baptism marks a significant, a significant decision that's been made. It does not mean that a believer has completely arrived, right? There's still things to learn. There's still ways of obedience that have to be modeled and taught. Baptism is a beginning. It's not the end of the road. It's the start of the journey for a believer. So not only do we want to make more disciples, we want to make better disciples. We want to grow deep. We don't want to be just a, a servicey like give your life to God and then whatever happens, happens kind of church. <clears throat> Maybe you've heard that, uh, that some churches, you know, are, are like seeker sensitive or... Uh, Attractional. I don't know if you've ever heard those phrases, seeker-sensitive and attractional. I know, again, loaded labels. Uh, that can mean a lot of things to a lot of people, and, and I'm not here to, like, say, well, you shouldn't. I mean, I think we should be. Hopefully, we are sensitive to people seeking after God here. Hopefully, like, the presence of God here, if we're really putting uh, him on display, will be attractional. That is attractional, I believe, right? So we can be seeker-sensitive. We can be tractional. But sometimes, you guys, churches have gotten so caught up with reaching the lost that, that they've watered down the gospel or lost sight of the priority of ongoing discipleship and growth as followers of Jesus. We believe that the Great Commission does not just give us the authority to reach the lost, but to disciple the found. Again, we believe that the Great Commission does not just give us the authority to reach the lost, but to disciple the found. We want more disciples I want more to come to faith in Jesus here. But I also want all of us to grow as better disciples. We want more and we want better. We'll cast the net broadly to gather a huge harvest and we'll be faithful to going really deep as we teach ourselves to obey everything Jesus commanded. Which, uh, which brings me to my last point. which is the role and the importance of the local church in the mission of God. So I said two things. Uh, if you remember, I had, I had two points. I'm not going to quiz you on it, but I, I said two things. Number one, we've all been commissioned to make disciples of all nations. And number two, I said that the church is God's plan for working out the Great Commission. We have a, uh, we have a high view of the local church here at Exeter Valley Church. We have a high view of the local church and, and like involvement in the local church here at Exeter Valley Church. And I believe that this is what we see in scripture. So the question then is, how does the Great Commission impact how we do church, right? Remember, this, this is a series. What kind of church are we anyways, right? What kind of church is this anyway? That's how people say it when they ask me. Anyway, n number one way to describe us is, is very postural, like the way we stand, the way we hold ourselves. We believe that we're a family on mission with God. We believe that the church is to be a family on mission with God. We believe that the Great Commission does not teach us merely to make disciples, a la, you know, maybe some of the parachurch evangelism that you've seen, like, for example, and I'm not bashing on these. These are great organizations, Young Life or like a Promise Keepers even Billy Graham Crusade, right? These are ministries that are not uh, in themselves attached to a church. 
right? Those ministries do a great job, though, of pushing people to local churches, right? Because we believe that the way God set it up was for the local church to be a really powerful part of the, the Great Commission. So when we read the Great Commission and, and see the command to baptize and instruct in obedience, these are church functions. We don't just want to convert people and then leave them. We, we convert people and we invite them into the family of God. And maybe that's this local church, but listen, you know, and I don't know every local church in town, but I have pastor friends down the road. Maybe that's where people need to get plugged into, right? It's not just Exeter Valley Church. We believe all churches are making disciples and bringing those disciples into their family. If you've come to faith in Jesus, you should find a family to walk out your faith with. You should find a family to be on mission with. We believe that we're a family on mission with God. Acts 2, 42 through 47 says it this way. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the picture of the church, a family eating together, sharing needs, giving to one another, supporting one another, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, it says, Fellowship is okay in God's family. That means having fun together. <laughs> that means hanging out, enjoying company. That's part of what it means, but it's not all that it means. We're not just a family. We're family on mission with God. If and when we as a church become like an inward-facing circle, right, where, where the whole point is to come to a place where you know people who are like you, right? Or, or where you're like part of a club. Like we've lost the point, if that's what it is. Like we appreciate relationships. In fact, most of you, you know, you probably won't stay unless you really feel like you have relationships here, right? Relationships are super important. We wanna be like a family, but they're not the end. Relationships are not the reason. That's called a social club. You can get relationships at the country club, at your local bar. Maybe. I don't know. Can you? That just came to me. I don't know if that was the spirit. We're an outward-facing circle, you guys. Yes, we need, like, we need each other. Absolutely, desperately, we need each other. But we don't exist just for each other. We're facing up and out. That's what I like to say. We look up and we look out. We look to God. We're on mission with him after all. We've received his authority. He's the one that gives us what we need to do what he's asked us to do. But we also look out, you guys. We don't come in, lock the doors, and hope that nobody else comes. We're on mission with God. We're on mission with God, you guys. It's not just about us. I love you. I love you to death. I care about you deeply. I hope you find family here. But we don't exist just for your needs to be met. That's not the only reason that we exist. We're a family on mission with God. Family on mission with God. That brings me to my last point. I think I already said that. That's, that's when you know it's a long sermon. 
the last point of the last point. The last thing that I wanted to talk about is, is the vehicle for uh, being a church that sees itself as a family on mission with God, and that's church planting. We're a church plant. That's kind of, I always thought that was kind of weird language for like new churches. Like, why did it have to be like a plant? Couldn't we have been like a new build or something more masculine? I don't know. Plants fell, felt a little bit wimpish to me. Anyways, we're, in, we're a new church, right? We, we, you guys, listen, uh, we believe in establishing new churches. Why do we believe in establishing new churches? Because that's what we see in the New Testament. Did you know that the, the first wave in the United States of church planting was like seen between 1776 and like the, the 1914 or so? 1914 was like the high point of, uh, of uh, church participation in the United States, 1914 statistically. Then we came into the World War time, and for whatever reason, denominations stopped planting churches. Guess what happened? Fewer people in church. So here's what we believe. More new churches, more people coming to faith in Jesus. Right? So this isn't about like competition and us being the best church in town. This new church, primarily, we started this new church to, pe to see people who are outside God's family brought into God's family. Did you know statistically, you guys, 80% uh, of um, the growth from a new church comes from the unchurched? When you start a new church, 80% of your initial growth comes from, statistically, people who don't have a church home. And the opposite is true for existing churches. For old established churches, actually 80 to 90% of their growth comes from transfer growth. Christians leaving one church to come to another church. Peter, uh, uh, this guy's name is C. Peter Wegner. You know you've arrived when you don't even say your first name, you have an initial for your first name. C. Peter Wegner. Anyways, he says this, he says the most effective evangelistic methodology known under heaven is church planning. Church planning is the most effective evangelistic methodology known under heaven. What that means is the best way to reach the lost, to see all nations baptized, is to start new churches. That's the number one reason, you guys, that we decided to start a new church. It's not because we could do it better than anybody else. It's not because we didn't like our old church. Baloney, that's not why we started a new church. We started a new church because God put on our heart a desire to see people in this community brought into the family of God. And look, you know, um, I'm going to call her shot right now. I'm going to call her shot. I, I believe that Exeter Valley Church, you know, at this time, a small startup in a little rural California town, I believe that we're part of a bigger mission. I believe that we're part of the bigger mission of God to make disciples of all nations. I believe that we will not just be a church plant, we will plant other churches. We will participate down the road in the establishment of other churches. Why do I think that? Not because we're like awesome or perfect or we got it all together, but I think that that's what churches do. When we're on mission with God, with a goal to see more people baptized, with a goal to see the already baptized 
taught to obey the commands of Jesus. This is what we do. We see it all over the New Testament. These churches started other churches. That's what I want to be a part of. We have, I think we have vision to be a part of repro reproduction. We're a church plant with a heart for church planning. And again, not because this was our idea, not because Noel thought it'd be really cool to like lead other church plants or start other things to build some brand. No, not our idea. This is God's idea to commission us. Remember, he's given us all authority. We have the authority that Jesus had. And he's told us to go and make disciples of all nations, to baptize them and to teach them to obey his commands. One last thing I, I would point you to, you could Google it. Um, there's an article by a pastor named Tim Keller in New York who, Meg and I were doing the math. He's, he's been involved with as much church planning as anybody. Thousands and thousands of churches have been planted worldwide uh, under his leadership. He wrote an article, a really simple article called Why Plant Churches? If you're around a year and a half ago, very first vision meetings, I, I handed out this article. This is why we're planting churches. He goes into great depth about what's so great about new churches. Uh, I'd love you to read the article. I actually left a copy of it right by the water pitcher out there, but you can Google it. It's really easy to find. Tim Keller, Why Plant Churches? So look, this is the end of the halftime speech. Hopefully I've lit a fire underneath your seats. Hopefully you're feeling challenged to get out there and join God on his mission to, to, to make all things new. And uh, here's the point, you guys. At, at Exeter Valley Church, we believe that, number one, we've all been commissioned by God to make disciples of all nations. We've been given his authority. We've been given his authority. We've been commissioned. We've been sent out to go. It's not just the professional pastors that are ministers. We're all ministers. We're all missionaries. And number two, we believe that the church, the local church, you guys, is God's plan for working out the Great Commission. We believe that the local gathered church is God's plan for carrying out the Great Commission. You know, you may remember a time when we stopped gathering as local churches. Wasn't that long ago. How'd that go? We believe the local church is God's plan for working out the Great Commission. You guys, we're a family on mission with God. We love each other, but we're not like stuck to each other. We believe God's called us for a purpose, to be an outward-facing circle, the model by which he's planned to bring about the redemption of all things. So think about that. Being a part of, of a local church, you guys, it's a holy sacred thing to be a part of. It is God's design vehicle to bring about the redemption of the world. Go ahead and wrap your mind around that. I need you to believe that, like deep inside of your soul. I need you to believe that. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Um, we thank you for your friendship, Lord. I, I mean, dang, I, I like would have thought of someone else other than me. Like sometimes I just, I don't know why you would partner with us, God. But I think it's because you love us so much, Lord. And I pray that we'd, be, we'd know that love, Lord. I pray right now, maybe like if we haven't really experienced your love, God, I pray that we would, we would come to have an experience of your love, Lord. That we would really know your love deeply in our hearts, Lord. 
And I pray that we be compelled by your love for us to go out and make disciples, to tell other people whom we love about you, Lord. What a loving thing it would be to share your love with someone else, God. And so I, I just, I thank you for caring about me enough to like wrap me up in your mission, Lord. I believe that you knew that what was best for me was to be involved with your mission. That uh, somehow bringing glory to your name, learning to enjoy you is, is what I've been created for. It's what we've been created for, Lord. I pray that this wouldn't just be a doctrine that we hold intellectually, Lord, but that it would be a doctrine that we walk out practically. Would you help us to do what we're hearing, Lord? Would you help us to go? And Lord, I just pray like a special blessing, God. I mean, this sermon's not about family, but I, I would pray that you would give us uh, tight-knit relationships. I, I want to have a circle here, Lord. I need like a community to walk out my faith with, Lord. We need each other to follow you, Lord. And so I would pray, Lord, even as we are looking outward, we're talking about mission, Lord. I pray that you bless this family, Lord. Would you grow relationships really deep, really strong here, Lord? Would this be a place where people can receive encouragement, like just relationship, friendship, Lord? And would we turn around and go out from here as friends, as family, on mission, Lord, with you, truly. May it be true. In Jesus' name we pray this morning, amen.